Up and Adam in the morning. Live here. Very excited. Chris Lambert, your own backyard podcast in studio once again. My man, what is up? How you doing? Good. How you been? I've been really busy. Yeah. How have you been? It's been pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I was really excited when we all, you know, figured out when it was time for you to come in. And you and I were kind of like talking about when to get you in. And I didn't see your initial post on your story. And I had a friend who was like, you, you got beef with Chris? I'm like, what? And it just was like, he's been, he's been blasting that you've been texting him, like, you know, blowing up his phone and he's not getting back. <laughs> this is pretty funny. But, um, no, I had been, and I think this is, uh, I'm not the only one. But you have been just inundated. Yeah. And you got to kind of filter what you can, what you can do, what you can't do. And no, there'd be times, and I've always told you, I was like, cause we get along so good in here. And then, uh, like, look, if you don't, if you just don't want to talk at all or whatever, if you're busy, I get it. I just don't want to bug you. And yeah. you've always been really, really sweet about that. But it must have been, it must have been just a crazy last several months. It was. But I mean, going back a couple years now, I started to institute this policy where when things get crazy, I just have to go off grid. Yeah. Like, especially when I'm working on new episodes, I just have to like turn my phone on do not disturb mode and just pretend like I don't even have a phone or I just won't get work done. Yeah. I, I learned that about myself early on. So especially during trial. And afterwards, I just had to disappear. So when was the last time we even had you? Because obviously, it was before the trial even. Yeah, I want to say it was last June or July. Wow. Yeah. So much has happened since then. Yeah. What a whirlwind. And then just like the last two episodes, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the whole conclusion, the four-part conclusion was insane. But the last two episodes, I mean, you really, literally somebody stopped me when I was walking into the lobby uh, a person from another office stopped and they saw my story that you're going to be on the show and they were talking about, oh my gosh, those last two and I had saved them, the, the, the last, last one. Yeah. But the jury, I mean, you're hanging out with the jury. I mean, you, you really have infiltrated every aspect of this case and absorbed it and, and taken it in. So uh, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Take me to the trial. What was that like for you? You moved up into Monterey for a while, uh, got you know, blessed with a situation where you could like, you know, live there and be all good. And then what were those days, nights like for you? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I moved up there in June of last year. I want to say just before the trial started, they were doing all the in limine motions and pretrial motions. And so I had to be there every day for that, even before they even had a jury. So I was there all through June and it was just like, you know, court starts at eight 30 usually in the morning and it goes until, 4.30-ish uh, with an hour-long lunch break in between, and there were, it was just nonstop. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd drive to the courthouse, you wait in line, you got to get there in time to get one of the 10 badges available. And you said it was intense. Only, it, it is very intense. There were people who were like in traffic, like, I'm just not going to make it today. Um, they, they actually had a, a separate courtroom that was like an overflow. Did anyone look down on you because you weren't, quote-unquote, a media journalist? Probably, but like the people who were there really like they knew who i was yeah like, they were very respectful there were a few people that showed up that were like uh, there was a guy who showed up one day who like has a huge twitter following and he's like i'm gonna go in here and like i'm gonna tell this story and i don't think he liked me very much he oh, was really? like but he was very rude to a lot of people and so um there were a couple people like that who i thought just showed up a day or two to try to like capitalize on this big yeah. case or something and what they about didn't, the one you talked about it. in the episode with the the person from the media who took a picture 
Oh, yeah. And you guys were all stressing on it. Yeah. And then the one person <laughs> who was, like, snapping about it ends up being her. Yeah. There were a Dang. few people there who were very aggressive about being a media person. Their job is to, like, follow all the witnesses to their car, get them a business Ooh, card, and be man. like, please call me. Yeah. Please do an interview. Who are they, where, are these, where are these people from? Are they from, like, like Inside Edition? Are they from, like, the lawn, the, you know, that YouTube channel that, like, airs all the trials now? I mean, all of those? Yep. Yeah. Yep. What a and, and they're coming from, you know, New York. Los Angeles, so they're just flying in, and they just walk in like they own the place. Oh, and wow. the rest of us there, for the most part, it was, you know, Cal Poly journalists were there almost every day. Um, KSBY, KEYT had people there every day, and the Slow Tribune, and me. Yeah. And that was, like, the regular crowd. Those yeah. were the people. And then uh, NBC flew up, flew people out from uh, for Dateline, and they, were, they had somebody in the courtroom every day, too. Wow. But then you'd have these strangers who'd show up one day, and kind of have an attitude about things and aren't used to it's a very small courthouse and monterey county courthouse is not set up for a national trial this way sure so the first few days it was just hectic there were people there handing out badges who were like i've never done anything like this before. yeah so it was yeah it was just crazy the whole experience was overwhelming and, everyone yeah it sounds like it and so you get your badges you go inside you observe. you'd almost feel like you got like a a de facto law degree now like, did you ever watch like law and order before this i mean you <laughs> not really. you know like you're using all these terms and one thing that i thought was so interesting in these last few episodes is that you were so keen into certain um things that sanger would do paul's attorney yeah and literally bring if he listened to your podcast which he of course he did he must be so pissed because you just like slowly rip him apart, but not even just rip him apart fact for fact. You rip him apart like in the way he does his job and not in a, like a mean way, but you just like point out these things like and have these jokes fall flat. And then you have the jurors saying how his jokes are just like, what is he, where is he going with this? Like he's not tuned in to what's happening here. It's weird because in the hallways, I felt like every single person in the media was kind of on the same page about his performance. Um, he was absolutely not incompetent. He wasn't ineffective as counsel. A lot of people were worried that he was so bad that Paul's just going to get a new attorney. <laughs> right. He wasn't like that. He was just, it was like insulting. The things that he would try to use um, and the things he would bring up, the way he went after witnesses, every single witness, he'd just try to tear them down in a very personal yeah. way that felt wrong. But I felt like we were all on the same page, but then I was really the only one who could report it like, you know, directly because a lot of people have to be a little more professional yeah and i have seen a few comments saying i think chris is exaggerating who sanger is i think he's biased and so it's been very validating to get messages from people who have worked alongside sanger yeah who have messaged me and said this is exactly who this man is and people who served on other jury trials for sanger where sanger was a defense attorney that mm -hmm. said I was traumatized for years about the way that this man handled our trial. Yeah. And so it's hugely validating to get messages like that. And then especially once I got to sit down with the jurors and hear, you guys kind of saw that too, right? This was weird. And they were so, the jurors were so professional and they were so careful and so analytical about the way they went through evidence. It, it was Sanger's style was just exhausting for everyone in that room, but they were still so careful to not let that get in the way of their verdict. One could make the argument that it doesn't matter. We don't have to like him. He's got a job there. He's got a constitutional right. Paul does to a free trial, yeah. a fair trial. And, and look, it only matters what the jury thinks of this attorney and the jury. That's to me was the most resounding reverberating voice is when we can have all our opinions. We're all probably about the same. 
in our opinion of this guy. But then when the jury says it, it's like, what what could he say to that? Like you're not giving a cross to your jury, right? You're not doing you're not doing this guy. You're, yeah, you're and, not, and missteps. There were uh, just a couple people. It's always a very tiny portion of people who were saying, oh, uh oh, this is not a good idea to let the jury express that they felt this way about this guy. But for one, like I said, they're very very cautious and careful about the way they actually analyzed the evidence and the witness testimony it was just listening to him speak was like okay get it over with just get through get through this portion so we can get back to the evidence but there was only one juror on Ruben's jury who's to this day has given an interview to Chloe Jones from the Slow Tribune he did it the day after the verdicts came out and he said the exact same things about Chris Pavrell and his performance the deputy district attorney he's he didn't like his style and he kind of tore him apart in that Mm -hmm. article which was surprising to me because I thought, wow, everybody sitting in that room had a different impression than than that, I thought. Yeah. But some of them didn't like Pavrell, I guess. So I think it's just very fair to let people express that certain attorney styles don't sit right with them. Right. But that doesn't impact the way that they analyze the evidence and no, listen sure. to witness testimony. Yeah. And uh, he tried to pull out all the stops for Paul. You can't say he didn't. Some of them that just feel like ridiculous in, in context. When and that's the point of ineffective counsel is somebody who just didn't put in the effort. Right. This guy put in the yeah, effort. Can't say he it didn't. just didn't go his way. Yeah. When we come back, I want to talk about the verdict, um, play a little piece of one of the final episodes where we talk about just the reverberations of this verdict and to, to how far uh, people really truly cared to see Paul uh, take... Um, be held accountable for what he did to Kristen Smart. Uh, we got Chris Lambert here. He is from the Your Own Backyard podcast. We'll continue with them coming up. It's Up and Adam in the Morning. You're up and Adam in the morning. Up and Adam in the morning. The Crush 92.5. Thanks for being up and Adam in the morning. You're listening to The Crush 92.5. It's 848. Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard podcast host, is here. Uh, we just concluded the four-part series. Now, are we done done? Are we done done? Might we not be done done? Well, the case isn't done done, and sure. so I'm I'm sort of on hold until something happens that's worth reporting on. This is the conclusion of this chapter of of my life and and this part of the story, and so this is where I go back to normalcy for a little while. But yes. I've I've been working on is a lot that of even other possible? Which we, which we will talk about. Sure. Don't think you're going to get out of here without talking about that, my friend. <laughs> Listen to a little piece of one of the latest episodes of Your Own Backyard powerful in talking about just the reverberations of this verdict without even a name or any context shoppers immediately screamed and applauded in restaurants in pismo beach atascadero and paso robles in doctor's offices in swimming pools people went out to their cars to call their friends their parents and their kids people hiking or walking their dogs stop to sit and cry and the ripples didn't stop there people celebrated at their desks in Canada on their honeymoon in Mexico working the night shift at a prison in Germany delivering aid in Ukraine on vacation in Italy at a nightclub in Sweden lying in bed in Iceland in London in Scotland Wales Australia The verdict resonated worldwide. Justice for Kristen Smart, 26 years and five months later, somehow felt like justice for victims everywhere. Justice for a woman who had initially been brushed off as a runaway. 
judged harshly for what she wore or how much she'd had to drink. Justice for a family who refused to give up, even when it seemed like no one was taking their plight seriously. After two and a half decades of painfully slow progress, lost evidence, missed opportunities, and a laundry list of failures from pretty much everyone involved. Justice for a small community that had adopted Kristen as one of their own, even though most of them had only ever known her as a face on a billboard. A community that came back in full force to speak up, to refuse to allow a family to keep getting away with murder in their own backyard, who volunteered their businesses, their homes, their donations, their eyes and their ears to making this right. It was a monumental occasion. Susan Flores. Now, that was beautiful. That was so good. And you really gave Kristen wings there. And really, we were able to wrap our arms around the fact that Kristen, uh, is, her story has reached far all around the world. And people so much cared that justice was served in that moment. Yeah. Uh, what was that moment like, the verdict like for you? Um, completely surreal in every way, like hard to even describe, uh, out of body experience almost, uh, sitting in there for so many months, being so stressed out every single day, and then wondering the entire time, how is this going to go? I mean, you have 12 human beings who come to whatever conclusion their life experiences have led them to. And I really had no idea. I had my hopes up. And uh, when they said guilty, and not only guilty, but first-degree murder, they had options. They didn't have to go first-degree. It's like, wow, they they saw through everything. They yeah. did it. And I, it, it took a long time to you know read the paper and then go through the, the technicalities of, well, now we've got to remand him into custody, and we've got to take care of a sentencing date. And the whole time that was going on, I was just crying so hard in my seat and trying to hide that I was doing that. And then I'd take a breath, I'd collect myself, I'd take notes again, and then it would just hit me in another wave. It was like I just lost control of my emotions. Did and, you feel like after the Reuben verdict, like, oh, my gosh, this is these, well, these people have gone mad. What's going on here? No, because they're also human beings, and I thought there's just a, a different algorithm or a different formula that led them to this conclusion. There was evidence they didn't get to see. Things like Paul's police interview early on, I actually found out, was very, very important to Paul's jury. Being able to put a, a face, this 19-year-old face, to it, and in the days after this girl goes missing, how just sort of flippant he was about yeah, the whole thing, right. and, and callous, and and lying, oh, and then saying he lied. Just right? Just, just not only fib. did he lie, but he was sort of proud of lying. It's yeah. like, what, what does it matter? Who yeah. cares? So I think those were the pieces that helped Paul's jury put it together. Yeah. If Ruben's jury didn't get to see that, how do they come to that same conclusion? It was interesting when you were talking to the jury and they all kind of sounded off on what was there, like aha moment. Yeah. Like, cause a lot, they, you know, these people are far better than I because I would have gone in there being like, oh, just get me into this jury because I'm just going <laughs> to convict this. Sure. Yeah. You know, cause like, I, he, of course he did it. Yeah. But the, these people came in like, no, we have a real responsibility and we are going to come in and when we're going to let the, the evidence speak. I think luckily the judge, um, well, for one, this jury in this county had never heard of this case before. So they really were going in blind. Crazy. And wow. that's the scary part for, for us, for, yeah. for me, uh, is going, are they going to see 
all the pieces with only a little portion of what's able to come in legally. Uh, but the judge just really commanded an intense um, decorum in the courtroom, and all the jurors just fell in line. It was like, we love this woman. We want to make her happy. We want to make her proud. And I, I feel like she was uh, to credit for a lot of why everybody was so fair and careful with the way they went about things. Yeah. If you want to call in, uh, Chris is available to ask questions. He's definitely uh, open and welcome to questions you might have for me, the podcast or the experience. You can call in 805-903-1974. 805-903-1974. We got Chris Lambert here. And in the second, I want to play you a piece from an interview I did in the studio with Elon Funky Bilu, mm-hmm. who is a very well respected defense attorney here. And, the audio, I, I couldn't believe it because his point is he thinks that Paul might have a real bite at an appeal, which is just absolutely uh, crazy to me. Do you feel like the folks um, who you feel like the, the the district attorney's office took a big L with Ruben? Like, do you think they were mad about that? I mean, it just feels like it's such a bummer that that happened that way. And I know the jury situation was the way that kind of unfolded played a role because remember we we read about this one juror who like talked to his priest and you go into that in the episode, which I'm thankful. And we, first of all, I want you to kind of say, what did he do? What did he not do? Because you read the story, you're like, oh, he talked to somebody like, ah, but I mean, if you're talking to a priest in confession, that's supposed to be like a hallowed sacred place. What did he say? What did he, so you can, you can enlighten us on that. But he later on, correct me if I'm wrong, was one of the jurors who probably would have made that a hung jury because he did not want to let Ruben off the hook. And then he got dismissed. He was the one thing. Right. So t- what did he do, and should he have been kicked off? I mean, I guess the way the judge put it was so fair. You know, she's like, it kills me to do this, but i got to do it. Right. That, that's, and that's above all why I have so much respect for this judge. Yeah. She, she was not at all leaning one way or another where it's like she's heavily favoring this side. She was so fair throughout to both sides, even when it was devastating to yeah, our side, where sure. it's like, come on, we need this. Um, and when I say our side, you know, I'm, I'm – pretty much there i'm a documentarian who made a documentary and along the way kind of came to this conclusion that it's like okay we have the pieces here this poor girl got walked home by the wrong guy and then it just got dropped the ball got dropped Mm -hmm. and so i'm here all these years later hoping there will be some sort of justice i never thought it would get into a courtroom i wasn't like rallying to convict paul flores it was just like somebody do something about this somebody look into this and so this was the next step of that. Like, okay, let's see what's going to happen. So, so the point you're talking about, um, I really don't know exactly what he did, of course, but his, his explanation of it was he went to church and he said in confession, you know, I'm serving on the jury for this murder trial and uh, it's very heavy and it's, very, it's weighing on me a lot and I don't know what to do. And his priest told him, you know, it, you, know you do what you think is right and somebody's looking over you and, yeah. and things will be okay. But... Then when he got back into the courthouse a week later, he said out loud to somebody, I spoke to my priest about this, and I kind of get the impression from talking to other jurors that they were looking for a way to get him off of their jury, that, uh, that it felt like he was the holdout. He mm-hmm. was the only one that was... Because they were in deliberations. Right, and the, the one juror on Ruben's jury who did do an interview with the Tribune said that. He said, we had 11 out of 12 jurors were ready to say not guilty, but this one guy couldn't see it, and he refused to budge. And then after the lunch break, they're like, Your Honor, he's been blabbing to his priest. we got to get him out of here. And it worked. 
And so I really don't know the, oh the my depths that he went into. I don't know the rules with how much he violated, but I do understand what the judge said, that the appearance of impropriety is sometimes just as bad as actual impropriety. If it looks on the surface you like you may have violated the rules, there's going to be an appeal based on that alone. And he was so devastated, and that's one of the things oh, that showed me how invested these jurors got, oh, is sure. that after serving three, four months in that courtroom, none of them wanted to leave. They're like, please, oh, yeah, don't no. kick me off of this. I need to be here. Yeah. It's Because it, it did really take an emotional and and physical toll on everybody just to be in that courtroom every day and oh, listen that guy regrets to it. the evidence. He regrets even bringing it up. sure he does. Man. I would love to speak with him. I'd love to know what his thought process yeah. was and how, how that felt to go home and be like, I don't even get a say in this anymore. And then to see his jury come back unanimous Uh so quickly, it was like they got that final juror in to replace him and just told her, there's not enough here. We're not going to convict him the end. And they only deliberated for one more day. So I don't know what went into it, but they felt like there was not enough evidence there. Yeah, 903-1974. We're going to come back. We'll even take some of your calls. 805-903-1974. Also, we'll play this audio from Elon Funky Boo. I'm dying to get... Chris's take on a thoughtful assertion, Elon's not crazy, on could Paul Flores really have a chance in appeal? It drives me absolutely bonkers, like we're in Bizarre World, but could it happen? We'll talk to him next. I am up and at him in the morning. Up and at him in the morning. Thanks for being up and at him in the morning. It's the Crush 92.5. It's 11 minutes after 9 o'clock. Welcoming your calls, and there's a lot coming in for Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard Podcast. Okay, I'm going to get to uh, some calls first because people have been waiting, Chris. But also, I do have this audio that I'm going to play for you soon of Elon Funky Bilu talking about if Paul Flores um, could perhaps, you know, get an appeal and, and overturn this verdict, which sounds crazy to me. Uh, 903-1974. Good morning. My name's Mickey. Mickey, good morning. How you doing? Happy Friday. I'm doing happy Friday. Thank you. Say hello to Chris Lambert. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? Doing well, thank you. What's your question? So, um, I've been obviously listening like everyone else, and you've seemed so humble about what you've done, which is incredible. And I truly want to know what you think of what you've done, like what the impact that you had on this case and um, just the incredible work and I know there were so many people involved in what happened and the outcome was, but what you got rolling again was beyond anything. I was just wondering on your, on your. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really hard to process just because I've been so, um, like I say in my last episode, I've been so zoomed into the small details that coming back out and going, what happened here? Like, this is crazy. Um, I actually drove by um, Kristen's billboard the other day in the Royal Grande Village, and I thought, wow, this is the thing that, Five years ago, I was looking at going, are they ever going to do anything about that? Yeah. And then we're here, and I'm in the room. You know, I, it's it's really hard to process. I will say that yeah. there have been moments that it's hit me where I thought, did I do this? Did I, I was part of this. And then there's been other times where I have to kind of pull back and go, well, you know, let's be... <laughs> But here's be realistic. The thing. I could only do so much in telling the story. Somebody had to grab the ball and run with it. And there were so many detectives and district attorney investigators who did so much hard work behind the scenes and didn't get recognized for it. And so certainly I was a part of it. But I have wondered how much of a role the documentary played in that, that if if it would have moved forward anyway, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, but it's crazy to think that here you are seeing that billboard that we've all seen but now like not only did you just do a podcast on it but and not only did it just blow up 
but you have become a piece of the story. I mean, not only are you a fabric of this tapestry to the family, at which they're so thankful for you and your existence, but you're the ire of the Floreses. You are, I mean, you, you get, the attorneys are bringing you up and you're having to hire First Amendment attorneys to defend your own practices of, of gathering this information. I mean, like, if you could... Would you would you do it again? Would you, knowing that the, the Floreses hate you and are thinking about you in this way, or knowing all this stuff, would you do it all again if you knew you were going to get inserted as deep as you did? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Be, because the, those are those things don't make me regret anything the way that it went. I certainly think if I were to go back, there were things I would try a little differently or yeah. put more or less effort into knowing what the outcome was going to be, but I would never just say, I'm not going to do this because it's tough. Yeah, so interesting. Thanks for the call, Mickey. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, and thanks for so much more than a podcast. Thank you. 903-1974, you want to talk to uh, Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard podcast. Uh, here's some audio from Elon Funky Bilu, a really well-respected defense attorney here. I want you just to digest this, and I'm dying to know what you think of it. I believe that he's going to be in the minority, and I believe his case will be reversed. Wow, that's based, pretty heavy. Based on my understanding of some of the evidentiary issues in the case. Now, and that's, why? Why? What? Like on what? I believe it's, it's supported by the fact that, that Ruben was acquitted in his, in his portion of the case. I believe that the evidence of the um, Southern California sex assaults, I believe that evidence was wrongfully admitted. So the prosecution says, hey, look, we have all this creepy stuff he did in L.A. to women, stuff he filmed, stuff we have video proof of. Uh, we want to introduce this to prove our point that he must have done the same thing to Kristen. Even though we don't have a body, that's what we're going to bet on. The jury, as do I, believed it. They convicted him. And you're saying the judge shouldn't have let that in? No, I think I think uh, my understanding of the law is I, I can see why the judge let it in. I just disagree with her that it was erroneous uh, letting it in. I, I, I understand, but I disagree. And in order to allow the evidence of the sexual assaults to come in, especially being after the fact, there has to be some parallel conduct that the court can articulate is, con is, is shown in the lead case, in, in the Kristen Smart case. I don't see that parallel conduct that justifies allowing the jury to hear about the Southern California sexual assault cases in the Kristen Smart case. You mean I, like I, he was creepy and pervy and that kind of whole thing? Well, how do we know he was creepy and pervy? We only know he was creepy and pervy because of the sexual assaults in Southern California. Yeah, if, but also the people that watched him interact with Kristen and knew him at those, you know, at Cal Poly. I mean, I guess it's, at some point it's like, and I know you are a fan of the letter of the law. It's why you do what you do. It's why you, you know, the, the law affords people a, a defense and innocent and proven guilty. And you are, I'm thankful we have people like you to, to champion that. But I feel like probably the majority of us who sit in just like the normal world, we go, oh, he was doing that in LA. Oh, we all, we think he's the one who did this to Kristen Smart. Well, yeah, yeah, good, yeah, put him away. Right. But I guess that you're saying that's not, that's, that's not the way to do it. Th that argument actually supports my argument why uh, the appeal should be reversed because that evidence is so powerful. So overwhelming, especially when you multiply it. I think the, the judge allowed, what, two or three yeah. sexual assaults? Right. Um, the, the number of the sexual assaults just increases the prejudicial impact of that evidence 
beyond. I mean, there's no way in my mind that when when I heard that the judge allowed that evidence to come in, there's no way the 12 tried and true would ever acquit him based on that evidence. There's no way you're gonna. There's no way that's gonna happen. It's 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 overwhelmingly prejudicial, and when the prejudicial effect outweighs the the the, the slight relevance that it may have to show that he's pervy and he probably be creepy or whatever, yeah, creepy that same time, yeah, then it shouldn't be allowed in. Chris Lambert, go. I personally, I think this is just a very defense attorney position to have. I have a lot of respect for defense attorneys and the role that they play. Ultimately, though, I think if the system is working perfectly, defense attorneys are supposed to get people off who didn't commit the crimes that they're being tried for. And if they did commit the crimes and the system is working perfectly, they should be convicted. And so I think you're always going to have this perspective from defense attorneys where it's like, I don't know, there's not enough here. They convicted him on the wrong evidence. A lot of people said they convicted him on a motion. Here, here's what I know about this, and, and especially with the sex, sex assaults being admitted by Judge O'Keefe, who, like I said, I have so much respect for that if I have to decide, is a defense attorney correct in that they should not have been allowed, or is Judge O'Keefe correct? I would side with the judge every time. We know that Paul Flores was at that party being sexually aggressive with other women. There were at least four other women at that party who said that he was aggressive with them. He was hitting on them all night. He was groping them. He was forcefully kissing them, trying to lead them outside to get them away from other people. We also know Kristen Smart shows up at 10 or 1030 completely sober. By 1230, she's passed out on the front lawn. I don't think that she drank herself into a stupor in that short amount of time and then we find out years and years later paul flores has drugged and sexually assaulted many many other women this is we got two that came in in the trial there were many 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 more that there's evidence of. over 10 yes over 20 probably wow and 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 i i don't even know the full extent of what the investigators saw i mean from my understanding there were troves of videos that were found on his computer i know nothing about those i know only what's come out publicly and so but what i do know is i've spoken to a lot of women who were not part of that group i mean there are other women that weren't even part of that group that came forward to me to say i met paul flores at a bar um i left my drink unattended the next thing i know i'm waking up in his bed i did not consent to anything and even women who did consent to going to his house, they said, sure, I'll go to your house with you. They go there. They're relatively sober. He gives them a glass of water, and they're waking up the next morning being assaulted in his bed. So Paul Flores has a proclivity for drugging women, whether they need to be drugged or not. Yeah. And when I say need, I, I understand how ridiculous that sounds. I think Paul Flores has a fetish for drugging oh, and having sex with unconscious women. Yes. And has for a long, long time. This is the way he's been living his life for decades. Right. And this, was, this stuff was on his computer. Like It was. Like and searches for this. And, and there's like at that. least a couple that I know about that happened before Kristen. So I think before Kristen, wow. he was already exhibiting this kind of behavior. So to allow two of dozens of people who could have testified to this behavior in, I think was a small fraction. I understand the, the argument for prejudicial effect, but... This jury was already so devastated by how little they did learn when they came out and they Googled Paul and they said, wait, what about this? Why didn't we get to know this? They were so devastated. Can you imagine if they were not told about any of that behavior and they let him go and went home and Googled? They would be standing out in front of that courthouse with signs right now going, lock him up. We did the wrong thing. We came to the wrong conclusion. So 
I have to come at it from the perspective of if the system is working perfectly, people like Paul Flores need to be taken off the streets. That's good And point. people who are incorrectly, you know, people who are charged with crimes they didn't commit should be getting off. But I think the way that a defense attorney's brain operates is how the system works and what it's doing wrong yeah. as opposed to what it's doing correctly. I mean, this is behavior of a serial rapist for over 20 years. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the fact that I'm not surprised because the district attorney in L.A., George Gascon, is like, he's a dumpster fire. They won't, they won't do anything about it. Like, you've got them on video, and then, you know, in 4K, and they won't do anything about it. Right. That's after, maddening. After my last episode aired, I actually heard from somebody in that DA's office who I'm hoping to speak with very soon uh, that yep. wants to share some insider so, info about that. Yeah, a lot of these, you should really get on that because, and I'm sure you will, but um, he's had a lot of dep- deputy district attorneys within the office, this George Gascon character, who have uh, parted with him and have, you know, it's crazy what he's been doing over there. So uh, more with Chris Lambert coming up. You're welcome to call in. we got more calls waiting right now, but you can get in to ask your question to Chris Lambert of the Your Own Backyard Podcast, 805 903 74, you're up and at him in the morning. You're up and at him in the morning. Up and at him in the morning. The Crush 92.5. Thanks for being up and at him in the morning. It is The Crush 92.5. 9.32, more calls for Chris Lambert of the Your Own Backyard podcast. I got some more questions, too, but I definitely want to take some more calls. Good morning. Uh, yes, hi. My name is Deanna. I'm from San Francisco, but I used to go to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Oh, Deanna, thanks for the call. What's your question for Chris? I have actually two things. One is that I wanted to make oh, I'm sure sorry. that it was on mute. Hello. There you are. You did. He is appreciated wow. and loved, uh, not only for what he did for Kristen, but for oh, bringing really um, a new level yeah. of podcasting yeah. and or social please. justice um, out into the world that has changed. My, I know my life, but I hope that he knows just how much he's appreciated and cared about. And then the second part is. Um, I'm I'm concerned that um, as oh, he I'm continues sorry, was... on with the next uh, chapters in his life, that he will let go of the what happened with um, Ruben not being convicted. That I hope that he can let that go, um, and I'm concerned for him. I'm just hoping that he. That's my question. Is I hope that he will oh, be. Um, 903 1970 of the Your Own Backyard Podcast. Good morning. Yeah, Do you feel oh, like I'm the sorry. that's going to hang on with you? Hello. There you are. You did. I felt like yeah, I had to process that one pretty quickly. Even the day of the verdict, it was like, wow, that's not what I was hoping for. But at the same time, what are you going to do? And I do have a, a lot of respect for the jury process. And I don't, I don't hold them responsible. I think there were some pieces missing. They yeah. didn't get to hear it. You talk about that in the so, last four episodes. Yeah. Like, like, especially those videos of, of Paul. Yeah, they missed on some, they missed that on some big pieces, but um, I understand it. And I, I don't think it was anybody's fault. I don't think that it was anybody's fault the way that it went the way that it did. And I've had a lot of time to think about it and just think, well, that's life. Yeah. And, and in the scheme of things, if you had to get one and not the other, I think it went the right way. That's a really good question. I appreciate your call. Thanks a lot for calling. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, I'm Ben. I'm calling from Thousand Oaks. What's up, my man? I used to live in Thousand Oaks. Conejo Valley Thanks. in the house. Uh, what's your question for Chris Lambert? Yeah, so I had a question related to... So Chris mentioned in one of the podcast episodes, the legal, legal chapter is complete. And I wanted to know if 
there was any chance that the one remaining crime that could be charged still would be charged still, and that's accessory to murder for anyone else that was involved that hasn't already been charged yet, and what the chances are that new evidence or existing evidence would lead to those charges being filed against Susan, Mike McConville, or anyone else. That's a great question. Yep, really tough for me to answer because I'm not um, a detective or anything. I know that there's there are avenues that 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 is certainly a possibility if they pay off and if they can you know getting a search warrant on a property that's already been searched is a really tough thing to do and so i'm i'm certainly not over it yet i think that it should be followed up on properly and i got to leave it up to the sheriff's department and the district attorney's office to file charges when they feel it's appropriate and also i think after going through the experience they did with ruben i think they're going to be more hesitant to file charges unless they really think it's going to stick and the bar for that is so much higher than it is for the public because I think anecdotally and if you live in the area, we all kind of know and we've talked to people who have said, oh, yeah, this person told me this, but will it hold up in a court of law? That's harder to say. So there's already been stuff that's come out in the news about uh, further testing that's been done. Um that, that will be followed up on. Do you think that, I mean, are Ruben and Susan still married? That's tough to say. <laughs> I mean, is that why? Are they still married on purpose so they don't have to testify against one another? Um, I think you'd have to ask, ask them that question. Um, they've been married and not married at various points. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Uh, what was your first name again, sir? It's Ben. I do have one small follow-up question. So if... Out of curiosity, so it sounds like Slow in general has kind of referred to this being a legal chapter complete as well. Do you think that the Slow PD is still looking into the possibility of charging other people with with a crime, or do you think at this point they're just looking for Kristen and have moved on from the, the legal phase? Slow Sheriff's Department is absolutely still following up to find Kristen's body. If her body is found on someone else's property, I think that's when they would start looking into whether or not somebody could be charged with it. I don't think that's like their first and foremost foremost goal i think that finding Kristen is understood ben, thank you chris ben some great questions my man uh enjoy to have a great rest of your day thank you, you 903 1974 your questions for chris lambert of the your own backyard podcast good morning oh i'm sorry it was on mute hello there you are you did wait what's your name where are you calling from jennifer from napa what's up um i was just calling to ask a question for chris go ahead Great. Well, Chris, we, um, hi. Hi. How are you? Um, we, uh, all listened really faithfully here in Napa, of course, knowing the smart, um, from our community for a short time as well. And I think my question is about, you know, the, um, the, uh, the during the trial, there were, the jurors were talking about their aha moments and their kind of all different from each other. And I was wondering, you know, first of all, what was the aha moment pre-trial before, during the um, research that you were doing um, for you personally, that one clincher? And then also what, you know, what did you think really resonated for you as the clincher in the trial? That's a great question. Um, I don't even know if I could honestly narrow that down i would say that when i started investigating this and i had heard anecdotally this guy's the last person to walk this girl home and i would interview people that went to school with them over and over again i heard so many women saying the moment i heard he was the guy i thought he did it there's no chance he didn't do it and i thought well that's awful i mean i would hope that if i walked a girl home and she went missing i don't think anybody in my life would say he did it that's just not a normal thing that that many people would feel that way. 
But it got deeper when I started to talk to his friends and especially his family members who all told me he did it. They're just, I haven't met a person yet who has said, I don't think Paul did it, except for people on the Internet who know as much about the case as anybody who can Google it. And so that was a huge factor for me was just how can this many people be wrong about this guy's behavior? But certainly once we found out publicly about what was found on Paul Flores' computer, a lot of things clicked into place where it was like, I had always thought this must be an accident that he tried to cover up. And after finding out about that, it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. That's just who this person is. That's who this guy has always been. And so th there's a lot of pieces like that that have just convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listening to the just, you know, layers and layers and layers of everything pointing in the same direction. I think, you know, everybody has that, that it seems like everybody has kind of a different piece of um, what the clincher was for them. But that, yeah, that's huge. Well, let me ask you, Jen, what was it for you? Um, I mean, yeah, the squirreliness, I think, for me. Sure. <laughs> of just, you know, not, not, um, you know, I, I don't know that... A, Isn't that a, funny that a lot of us are just so willing to, like, and we should, we tr should trust our gut, and, you know, God gave us judgment for a reason, but just someone's human behavior, we know yeah. something's up, yeah. something's not right. Absolutely. I, I think in the same ways... Yeah. So interesting, Jen. I really appreciate you. Uh, you ever go to um, two places I like in Napa? The Terraces, Tim Kroll, you ever go over there? Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, Tom, Monica, and them. I said hello, and then also Sharon Harris from Rare Cat Wines. Love her stuff. Ah, good to know. Well, I'm headed to work now, so. Well, it's, it's Friday. <laughs> All right, and it's five o'clock somewhere. Thanks a lot, Jennifer. I appreciate your Thank call. You. Call from Napa. Thanks, Chris. That was awesome. Thank you. Hi, thanks for uh, waiting. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Joanne, and I am calling from Los Angeles. I am the wife of someone who has seen evidence, and I am the wife of someone who knows why L.A. did not prosecute for political reasons. And I wondered if I could make a comment to thank Chris for taking Kristen Global. And yeah, please. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so as a wife of a detective involved, I was unable to say a word, but I was able to get messages. When there's a politician in a county who wants to look like a hero and he's coming up for election and there's a politician, his counterpart in Los Angeles, he makes a phone call saying don't move forward on those rape cases because I'm up for re-election and I don't want you to prosecute those. That is something that the public needs to know happens in the background. I'm not just going to say this particular case, but in this particular case, it really affected the outcome yeah. for political gain, okay? So if, if Slow County wants to look like a hero and L.A. County has mountains of evidence and the Slow County politician calls his friend in Los Angeles and says, let me be the hero, I'm coming up for election, I think the public should know that. I appreciate the call. Thank you so much for calling in and, and enlightening so us on that. Don't think you can make that one happen. I've tried calling 16 times. No, no, you're, no, you got Chris right here. You're talking to Chris right now. Oh, Chris. I'm hearing I love you. you. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for meeting me in the park. Thank you for taking this all the way. Thanks so much. Thank you for coming forward. Appreciate you very much for calling in. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Yeah, it's wild that...
people will see this mountain of evidence and, and you'll have a district attorney for whatever political reasons like not do something about it. Yeah, I don't understand the full extent of it. I would love to know more about yeah. why, you know, when things don't make sense on the surface, you got to wonder what's going on that you're not seeing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Chris Lambert of the Your Own Backyard Podcast. We're going to continue. Um, I got some more questions. We'll also uh, try and facilitate yours for Chris as well. 805-903-1974. You're up and at him in the morning. You're up and at him in the morning. Up and at him in the morning. The Crush 92.5. You are up and at him in the morning. It is the Crush 92.5. It's 946. Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard Podcast, is in studio. Uh, I've been fascinated, Chris. First of all, thank you for joining us. I'm taking so many calls. Yeah. I've been fascinated because you are a musician and you score your own podcast, which I don't know of a single person who does that. But I'm curious, like, are, are you laying out your narrative? And people can actually go listen to all just the music. Like the, the, the reason like you're getting chills and you're taken on this thing. And, and it's funny because you speak slowly and deliberately, but it's still always very edge of my seat. Like it's very captivating. And from a production value, like I'm from a production standpoint, like it's where I'm coming at this. Yeah. And the music, I love that people can enjoy. You can actually go to your Bandcamp site and hear all of the scoring that you've done for this. Yep. I just put out the second part of the soundtrack, uh, chrislambert.bandcamp.com. I have the original series and now I have the trial series. Yeah. Have their own separate soundtracks. So take me behind the scenes. Are you like laying down a voiceover, editing it? And then after it's edited and nice and polished, you literally are like almost like someone in post production, like playing piano underneath it. Yep. As you're talking. Yep. I cut together my narration with the interviews and and sound clips from other things. And once it's a final piece, dry, um, polished, good. Then I drop in. Um, I sit down at the piano. Um, I and have a bunch of other play the podcast. Play along to the podcast. And if there's moments where it's like it's too quiet here or there's an emotion here that's not quite coming out, how do I underscore that? Sometimes I try a lot of different things too that don't work where it's like you're going in the wrong direction musically with this and hitting the exact emotions to go with this because it's such a confusing case, I think. That's what mm. drew me in in the first place is like this isn't like a grisly, dark podcast. It's more like hopeless and and longing and searching and trying to figure out what chords go along with that since you're a musician is what i'm listening to right now your expression of your feelings with this podcast or is this what you're trying to elicit out of me as the listener probably both i mean it's it's what i want to hear so i assume it's what everybody wants to hear yeah sure um i'm sure it's not for everybody but when i listen to the part of the story I'm telling, I feel a certain sense, and I think, how do I get this out? And it's just trying to get your your brain and your emotions to communicate with your hands and figure out where does this fall on the keyboard? You know, where where are these emotions at? And trying to find them. And it's all just keys? No, um, I play uh, guitar. There's a lot of keyboardy like synthesizers, Mellotron, a lot of different stuff, ukulele, and I, I just have a studio full of little things that I play. And you're like, we're talking about this. Let's let me. Now, are you doing it over and over again to try and perfect it, or are you just kind of like, is this you just literally on the piano right now, just kind of going over like, and you know, Denise said that she was, you know what I mean? No, I'm not that good. I I, I will definitely write the parts first. Come up, I'll sit at the piano for a while, yeah. come up with what I want, and then go out to the studio and try to record a good definitive version of that cue. Yeah, while you're listening to it, right? Yeah. So because it has like a timing. 
Oh yeah, that it's I mean, there's times where I'm saying things where each time I, if I'm making a list, I'll just like kind of <clears throat> hammer a key along yeah. the list, wow. especially in the closing argument segment yeah. when Chris Pavrell was doing his closing. His final little piece was, if that's not enough, then we have this, this, and this. And if that's not enough, and each time he said it, I pounded this drum behind him. You don't, what, you don't even really hear it. Is that on here? It's called If That's Not Enough. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So this is over here. Yeah. So each time you hear this drum pounding is when he's saying, and if that's not enough. No And it kind of echoes off with yeah. the, the tempo of his voice. How important as a musician was this connection with the music and the podcast and the messaging and the emotions, how important was that to you? Hugely. It was. I, I thought when I first dipped my toes in, can I make a documentary? Has this, is this something I have in me and has it been done this way before? Um, step one was how do I get music in there that, that underscores what I'm feeling and what I yeah. want the audience to take away from this. Cause just I just heard it. It was that enough. It was yeah. like these light little echoes. Yeah. That's powerful. And it just kind of builds throughout. The chords in this one are very kind of um, just, they, they never resolve. Yeah. So you get a sense of like, this is dragging on and on. And at the very end, it resolves into a major chord. Take me to the moment where you're talking to um, specifically Denise Smart for the first time after you weren't allowed to talk to her as media. Mm -hmm. And perhaps an embrace, a word spoken. What was it? It was a hug right off the bat, um, a long hug. Um, she pinned a purple ribbon on me. We weren't allowed to wear purple during the trial because it showed bias in some way that um, they conflated it with convicting Paul Flores as opposed to recognizing Kristen Smart. So right. once it was all over with, she pinned a purple ribbon on me and um, got to just sit there with the family. and that sit, emotional sit time? Moment, very emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And just looking at each other like, whoa, you know, yeah, what just happened? And especially, yeah, it was so long of having to walk by each other and not acknowledge each other. I mean, even... They, they were not allowed to, to shake my hand, to I know. nod their head. It was just like, don't even look at each other. That's, that's hard. It very. Yeah. And in the same way, Ruben Flores, you mentioned off the air that there were actually times where you were in an elevator with him alone. Mm -hmm. What were those moments like? We, you know, we're in such close proximity the whole time. Um, you come back from lunch at the same time, and you're both in a hurry to get back in the courtroom. And you have no choice but to share that elevator. But it was just the two of us. I'm surprised, like neither one of you said, oh, "I'll get the next one." Or like, no. But I guess I mean it. I it crossed my mind, and I thought, "Why? I'm not Why up. would I do that?" Yeah, exactly. And so, it, you know, I'm not going to speak to him, and he knows better than to speak to. Did me. Did you look at the elevator? I, that would be one of those awkward times where I would turn around like the opposite way. You know, like <laughs> not not everyone faces the door in the elevator. Yeah. I would turn around if it. What, what you guys are supposed to staring at like the. The steel Waiting door. For the door to open. Yeah. yeah oh my very I think we both started breathing a little heavier. I thought, um, if this is, if he wants to say anything to me, this is the time he's going to do it. And you couldn't respond. No, neither of us are allowed to talk to him oh, okay. because I'm media and he's a defendant. There was a very strict gag order in this case. So I thought, if he's going to say anything, it's not going to be nice. Yeah. Um, but did you, did you wonder or play out in your head, he's going to like punch me in the stomach right now or like elbow me? I mean, I know he's an old dude. But no, like, I don't think he's that dumb. Yeah. I, you know, I, right, I right, think right. he knows better. And the ride is really only one floor. It was yeah, okay. maybe 10 seconds. And he's also, he's a much older person than he was in 1996, which is what the jurors saw, this very frail mm -hmm. older man. That's not who he was in 1996. No, this was a long time ago. He's not scary. Right, right. Um, now, obviously, you're talented. It, we, we put together here whether it's the music or the the interviews or 
um, the connecting of the evidence, the analyzing of the attorneys and the process. Some of these, like, I mean, you have done a lot of these jobs that you've kind of, you know, just thrusted yourself into in a way, like, or got thrusted into with all of this. Like, you're doing them better than people who are in big markets doing these jobs, whether it's a reporter, a journalist, or a podcaster, a broadcaster, I mean, a, a person who scores. I mean, I know you, music is at your heart, and I know that you love being a musician. Did any part of this process make you wonder if I shouldn't be doing something different? Like, maybe I should be scoring movies. Maybe I should be doing this or that. Did you ever kind of go down those things? Not really. Um, I think if anything, I just sort of thought, oh, there's a new skill set I didn't know I had before. That means I can do it again. But a lot of, I think, the success of the podcast, if you could call it that, came from the fact that I was just following my heart and my gut instinct. This is not at all my field and it's not what I do, but something overwhelmingly told me this is the right thing to do. This is the right time to tell this story. You're the right person to do it. Just do it. Don't ask any questions. Don't. A lot of people were saying, well, maybe you should do it this way or you should ask this person first or you should try to sell it, get somebody to buy it. For yes. You. And every part of my gut was just, just do it. Just, just feel your way through it. Do it what you feel is the right way. And that way, when it's all over with, you can't feel bad about it. You won't regret it because it's what you wanted to do. And I think that's what the next chapter of my life is going to be is even though a lot of people now are screaming for me to pick up another case or do more true crime, I'm going to follow my instincts again and see where it leads me because it hasn't led me wrong so far. But nothing like the Netflixes, the, the, all these the offers that come of your way, we have, have we made up our mind how we want to pursue these yet? No, um, there's, there's been, yeah, countless offers yeah. from all of the, I mean, if you name it, they probably have reached out yeah. at some point. Didn't feel right to me at the has time. Has anyone offered you a show? Oh yeah, many, many. I mean, each network has probably offered at this point, but it's just, I have to weigh what the benefit is from what it's going to take away from me and how much I'm going to have to give to it. And for me, this was about giving to the cause. It was about giving especially to Kristen's family. Mm -hmm. And so if they decide at any point they want to be a part of a show or a book deal or whatever they want to do, I'm fully on board to help them and, and be a part of that. But I, so you don't see yourself writing a book on this. It feels like if you don't and someone, someone else will, and I don't know that they should, I think you should. It, well, I'll say this. Everything I've done for the podcast is written. You know, I write the scripts for each episode before I read them. And so it's already compiled that way. And I just think the book would have to be more like the stuff I haven't gotten to say yet. The stuff that happened behind the scenes that nobody knows about that would be so interesting. Oh, yeah. If you're that kind of person to yeah. delve into. That's why I love and I know people love these conversations you have here. I mean, I just know that you get into so much of the nitty gritty and you're just so open and honest. Yeah. And vulnerable and just you expose yourself yeah. that's i'm not going to say i won't do anything i'm just going to say i haven't taken yeah. any of the offers yet that's nothing has appealed to me in that way but i'm certainly open to anything that sounds like it's right yeah lauren and grace are my interns and they each prepared a question for chris um lauren what was your question hold on i gotta figure out you're on five sorry go ahead i really wanted to talk about the genre of true crime itself, um, not just with podcasts, but with TV shows as well. And it's really taken off as something that people really enjoy. And I, I think it's quite interesting because there are documentaries that, like your podcast, that kind of go into the 
exploration of the tragedy and then there are others that are much more drama based and I was wondering what your take on the genre of true crime being an entertainment mm. like what that feels like wow um yeah I know there's people who who really like that stuff it's not for me I don't personally uh listen to any of that stuff but I don't judge people that do I think that a lot of the people who are obsessed with this stuff and really into it they're sort of they're there's a morbid curiosity that goes along with what type of people do this to other people and how can I protect myself? And I think that's a lot of what goes into the people who consume those shows. There's definitely also a toxicity to it, though, as well. There's, there's, I think, groups of people who are treating crimes and murders almost like they're, they're a TV show or, or a, a movie that doesn't have real people behind them. But they always they can always say, well, we're doing it for the victim or we're, we're giving back in some way. I just have seen in the last few years, there's such a dark side to it that I think is very unhealthy. But I think people who, you know, they just want to learn details of a crime or they want to get into it. There's certainly a good resource out there for people who want to know more about a certain crime they hear about. But there's you got to be careful with it, I think. It's a really good point, because in this case, for sure, for me, because I am a fan of true crime. But then when you... um, true crime that boundary is very blurred when it literally happens for lack of a pun in your own backyard in your community and these people and like you know talk to the smarts and like like, and it feels very real so i feel like my at least my desire to understand more and be involved in this case is because of its locality and and exactly what happened and what didn't and then for so long what did not and then now it did and then of course your podcast made this all fascinating but you're right it can be a blurry line to what we're using for entertainment or just um you know just like consumption as far as information uh, we're going to come back grace has a question too we've got to get to some spots real quick it is up and adam in the morning we have chris lambert here from the your own backyard podcast chris lambert is up and adam in the morning wrapping up our time i know there's some phone calls coming in we're going to let we're going to get to those phone calls we're also going to have a little segment that won't make the air because we're running out of time here, but will be posted in just a few minutes online. So if you are waiting on hold, stick with me. You will talk to Chris Lambert. Uh, we were just talking off the air, and um, our our um, intern Lauren's question was about true crime, and we were kind of talking more off the air. Yeah, it can get a little bit like icky when it's like, oh, my favorite one. And you made a great point off the air, Chris, and it was like when you're talking about another crime and another victim and another situation like every week you can't care about all of them it's just like this it's um, and like you said they're called crime junkie and it's turning into something a little bit gross isn't it yeah and i've i've learned that there's people who are really upset with me for taking so long between episodes but you know it's been i've put out four episodes in the last two months i think and that still wasn't enough for people and it wasn't fast enough to the types of people who are used to getting this info constantly it's every few days a couple times a week there's a new crime and the hosts in some of these shows they just can't possibly be devoting any energy to all of these cases they're talking about yeah it's just about what's one we haven't covered yet because we have to have an episode tuesday no matter what yeah. and so they can't possibly it's just impossible i have so many questions for you that we'll have to take off the air but i can't wait to post them uh grace you had a question for mr chris lambert yeah so like you were saying there's one extreme of these true crime podcasts and documentaries where it's just sort of exploitative and and doesn't really require that much tact and um and then there's the other side of it where it's just sort of true cold fact reporting 
And to me, you kind of fall sort of in the middle where there's a lot of, of passion and uh, careful ways that you handle the facts and you deliver it in such a way where it's it's very factual and inf- informative, but you can tell that there's uh, like a, a passion behind it to bring justice to Kristen. And I was wondering, was that sort of a difficult balance to come by? Like, did you have to try multiple times to sort of strike that? Or was that sort of natural to you? I don't know that I was thinking about it. I don't know that I was trying to balance it. I knew that this was a story that was local to me and one that I was very curious about. That was the main drive was my curiosity, what actually happened here. But I was so nervous about reaching out to the Smart family and what if they say they don't want me to do this? Like, I've invested so much at this point, and I still haven't talked to them. So if they say no, I've got to just move on and pretend like it never happened. But um, I absolutely would have done that. And so luckily, they were interested, and nobody had tried this angle before. So like, why not give it a shot? But every step along the way, it's been like, I want to interview this person, but if that person's not willing to talk or they don't want to share... I'm not just going to put out a new episode for the sake of putting out a new episode. I'd never want to do that. It has to be that there's enough content there that really feels important and isn't just uh, you know a fix for the listener. That they're because I think there's people who just want new stuff all the time, no matter what. But for me, it's like, are the people involved willing to be a part of this process? And do they want to share what they're thinking? They want me to keep going because if those people want me to keep going, I will. But the audience is not who I'm doing it for. And that's why taking a step back at this point, it doesn't mean I'm giving up on the case. What it means is that the part of this where I'm publicly in charge of telling this story feels like the last priority at this point. It feels like there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen with this case and other cases, but do I have to be the voice telling the story all the time? Probably not. I think I've done more than my fair share of talking about and putting these episodes together but I don't need to say anything else out loud to anybody not involved ever again if it's not important. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm kind of disappearing into the, the background for a while. And people are going, is this it? Or is there ever going to be a new episode? Well, sure, if there's something worth talking about. Of course, you don't want me to do a new episode if there's nothing important to talk about, right? You're not encouraging me to keep going just for the sake of continuing. Yes, oh, I love that's that. That's where you got to kind of keep yourself in check where i understand why you want more episodes, but you're keeping us in check too in a way i like that that's mm-hmm. like you're talking about striking a balance that's where i feel like where that comes in striking a balance between i want the audience to have something to listen to but i'm not going to be the person making it unless it's for the right reasons there's so many other podcasts they can consume for that reason and so if you're going to hear from me about this case it's only going to be because everybody behind the scenes has approved it and said yeah go ahead with that we want this done i have a story i want to share uh, we have Chris Lambert here, the Your Own Backyard Podcast. If you are on hold, uh, stay on hold because you're going to get a chance to talk to Chris Lambert. Uh, 805-903-1974. I think I have a couple lines open, too. And we're going to do uh, a little segment that we will post, but we have to move on because uh, Suze or Mandy, whoever's in next, I think Suze is still out, um, need to get in here. So, uh, Chris, thank you so much. I got a text from Denise Smart, and I've asked her if I can read it, but she didn't respond back so i'll keep the the context uh, or the the complete verbiage because there are two texts to myself but one piece of it says uh, speaking of you chris he is a forever a member of our family one of the greatest gifts Kristen could have ever given our family it's powerful huh very much yeah i love it well uh thanks to 
um, Chris Lambert for being in here. We'll continue with him, which will be posted. It is Up and Adam in the Morning on the Crush 92.5. I am Up and Adam in the Morning. I am Up and Adam in the Morning. Up and Adam in the Morning. Now, keep in mind, there was a whole other hour of questions that were answered for Chris that did not make the air because we simply ran out of time. So Chris sat in studio and we got, it's all commercial free. Well, all this has been commercial free as you're listening on the podcast, but there's a whole other hour of stuff that you don't want to miss. So make sure you look for that. It's called the Chris Lambert interview off air. All right. The off air interview with Chris Lambert. Go check it out. And thanks for being up and Adam in the morning. Up and Adam in the morning. With Adam Montiel. Weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m. The Crush 92.5. The perfect blend.